Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, during the course of our life, there are many things we might pursue. Uh, We might pursue a particular career, and that probably requires obtaining some kind of post-secondary education, or maybe uh, apprenticing under a journeyman, uh, you name it. Um, A sports team might pursue winning the championship trophy. That might require long hours of practice, might require going into strict training. We could think of many more examples like this. Pursuing those things in life takes desire, determination, and dedication. But there are also things we can pursue, particularly as Christians, as children of God. And our reading from James 1 this morning essentially calls us to pursue a lifestyle that produces the righteousness of God. Now, what is this righteousness of God described here in James 1? Well, it's the righteousness that characterizes God. It refers to things that are uh, righteous or right in God's sight. And it's conduct that corresponds to God's righteous character. Now, let me be clear about one thing. This text right right here this morning is not speaking about our justification, how God declares us righteous. That's something we're going to look into more closely this afternoon. But what we're studying this morning from the book of James is this. God wants his children to live lives consistent with being a Christian, consistent with their confession. As Scripture tells us elsewhere, God calls us to live lives worthy of the gospel of Christ as those who have been brought from dark to lightness, to live lives of light, as children of light, to live lives worthy of the calling with which we were called. So that brings us to the sermon theme this morning, which is this, pursue a lifestyle that produces the righteousness of God. We're going to see this includes, first of all, slowing our speech and our anger. It involves doing God's word, and it includes practicing right religion. So pursuing a lifestyle that produces the righteousness of God begins with uh, three things, as our text describes it, and these three things go completely against our natural uh, way of working. Listen to verse 19. I know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And when you hear those words, we have to ask, what's our usual mode of operation or the one we slip into so easily? So so often it's the opposite of these three things. It's easy for us to listen poorly, to speak hastily, and to get angry quickly. James, through the Holy Spirit, is teaching us to change our way in this regard. Now, one of the themes in the book of James is the theme of wisdom. And so it's no wonder that James also draws from the Old Testament books of wisdom. 
And if you read through, for example, Proverbs, you'll see much instruction related to these three things, listening, speaking, and about anger as well. First, there's the matter of listening. Proverbs has many things to say about listening well. Take only these uh, three sayings. First, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. That is, it's foolish to think you know everything. And when other people have something important to say to you, don't proudly harden your heart rejecting what the person tells you. You'll learn to listen to advice. And then there's this one. If a person gives an answer before he listens... It is his folly and shame. Now, this one is easy to fall into. I certainly am guilty of this. When someone is speaking to you, instead of listening to understand the person, you just think of how to respond while they're talking and don't even wait until they're finished before opening up your own mouth. Proverbs says, no, avoid that way of listening and speaking. Then there's this one, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them in your heart. That is, listen to instruction. Be careful to take in sound wisdom and to hold it in your heart. And these things from Proverbs, these are, this is the reason why the Holy Spirit says what he does through James here. Let everyone be quick to listen. In other words... Get your listening ears on fast. Hurry up and listen. And there's so many situations in life where we need to, to be quick to listen, to listen up and listen tight. You think of children. Children, be quick to listen to your parents. You do not have as much life experience that they do. God has charged them to teach you the ways of the Lord. Listen to their instruction and advice. Husbands and wives, you need to listen to each other. Be quick to listen. Marital strife will undoubtedly be lessened if we learn to be quick to listen and slow to speak. In fact, any relationship can be helped by listening well and slowing our speech. And then there's the most important time to be quick to listen And that's to listen to the Word of God. God's Word is the most important Word. There's nothing more important than being quick to listen to what God Himself has to say and to take it to heart. We're going to elaborate on this one a little bit uh, later on, but for now, we'll leave it at that. Then there's the matter of speaking. And there is a plethora of Proverbs about speaking and controlling our words. Here are three of them. Proverbs 10, verse 19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. And that is to say, when you are in a situation where people are talking a lot, most likely sinful things will be said. Things like slander and gossip, coarse joking, etc. And that means it's quite often better to say nothing at all than to talk a lot. 
There's Proverbs 17, verse 27, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. You know, we might think that the one with knowledge speaks all the time. Doesn't he have a lot to say? But instead, the person who is really wise is careful not to shoot off his mouth because he knows the danger of the tongue. Finally, there's Proverbs 21, verse 23. Whoever guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Right? We so easily become ensnared by our own words. We say hurtful things that break down relationships. We, we speak destructive things that come back to bite us. James will have more to say about using our mouths later on in our text and later on in this book. The message is plain and simple. Be slow to speak. Restraining your mouth is so often the way of wisdom. So that's speaking. Then there's a matter of anger. Proverbs also has some things to say about anger. There's Proverbs 15, verse 8, a wrathful man stirs up discord, but one slow to anger calms strife. Where anger is frequently present, peace will be most likely absent. A wrathful man stirs up discord. There's Proverbs 16, verse 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit is better than he who takes a city. That means if you control yourself and your temper, you act even better than someone like King David when he captured Jerusalem. He who rules his spirit is better than he who takes a city. Finally, there's Proverbs 14, verse 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Time and time again, the same message through God's book of wisdom, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And our text this morning emphasizes the danger of anger particularly. It says, be slow to become angry because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. See, how does Scripture so often describe the Lord? He is the one who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And if God, who is perfect and righteous and holy, is slow to anger, how much more should we who are inclined to evil be slow to become angry? Now we might wonder, well, is there room for the believer to have a righteous anger? Some Christians believe that's impossible for us as sinful people, but I do think there is a place um, for righteous anger. After all, our text says we must be slow to anger, not that all anger is out of place. However, it happens so easily that righteous anger quickly becomes the anger of man, where it's hot-headed, lacking self-control, stirs up other sin. Why is our anger so dangerous? When we are quick to become angry so often, we say hurtful and damaging words. We're so often not slow of speech. When we are quick to anger, so often we engage in destructive behaviors. 
And being quick to anger means easily losing control of yourself. Because of all these things, and particularly because our anger does not produce the righteousness of God, our text gives us the following command. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. We are to put away all sin. To put away what is contrary to God's righteous character. To put away all forms of wickedness. And while we put all, away those things, we are also to receive the word of God. And that brings us to our second point. <coughs> so verse 21 calls us to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls, it says. Now, how do we, we receive the word of God? Well, we receive it primarily by listening to it. Reading God's Word is great, of course, and we have more opportunity to read it than these Christians back then, uh, in the time of James, of course. We all have Bibles on our shelves and on our phones. We have access to it. And yet, listening to God's Word, hearing it, and heeding it is the most important thing. Being quick to listen applies especially to what God himself says in the Bible. Now, our text is going to emphasize that we can't merely be hearers of God's Word, but that's not meant to downplay the importance of listening to it. That's how we receive it. That's how it gets implanted within us. I love how uh, the late R.C. Sproul once put it, he said, the Word of God can certainly be in the mind without being in the heart, something we want to avoid, but the Word of God cannot be in the heart without first being in the mind. And so we need to take it in by listening to it and receive it with humility. That's another reason why it's so important to come to church regularly and to come with open ears to hear what God says. And you can hear that importance also in what James says, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Right? God bestows salvation through his word. You see, it's through the message of the gospel that we hear about the saving work of Jesus Christ our Lord. And without that message, there is no salvation. As Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, verse 15, from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, Scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It's in the gospel how we hear how Christ by his death has taken our sins off us and took them upon himself. Bearing them in his crucifixion on the cross. It's in the gospel how we hear how the Lord Jesus has redeemed us by his own blood, purchasing us for himself by his death, making us his own, making us his possession forever. The implanted word is able to save your souls, so let us be quick to listen to it. As Romans 10 says, the faith by which we are saved comes by hearing. 
Now that being said, our text also, at the same time, adds a danger we are to avoid here. And that is the danger of only hearing the Word of God, and that's it. But merely having God's Word enter into our ears is not enough. Listen to verse 22. But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. In other words, if all you are doing is listening to it, you're pulling the wool over your own eyes. It's meant to impact you and your life. God wants us to do His Word. And there's so many commands and instructions uh, that He gives us here in the Bible that He wants us to put into practice. I'll just give you some examples. There's Ephesians 5, verses 3 and 4, where it says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. See, this is the Word of God. And God doesn't want us to merely say, huh, that sounds nice and good, but have no impact on how we live. He wants us to apply ourselves to these things. He wants us to actually do them, avoiding the sin and putting the good into practice. We can mention others. Think of Romans 12. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. See, God wants us to examine our lives besides the word of, beside the Word of God and to change our lives if need be. Make sure you don't think to yourself, well, that sounds like a nice list of things to do, but not do any of it. No, God wants us to apply ourselves to these things. Now, to reinforce this point, our text then gives an illustration. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. What's the point of this image? The emphasis is on someone who sees what he's like in the moment, but then when he goes away from the mirror and and goes away from what he saw, it has no lasting impact on him whatsoever. He immediately forgets the things he saw, making the viewing pretty much useless. It's almost like it never happened. And applying this to listening to God's Word, the message is this. God wants us to carefully listen to His Word so that when we walk away from, say, here, we don't immediately forget it, that it doesn't just go in one ear and out the other, but that we remember it and hold on to it, and that it changes us, impacts how we live from day to day. See, Scripture warns us elsewhere to avoid the trap of merely listening to God's Word. Just think of what we read from Matthew 7. 
The Lord Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Or a few verses later, the one who hears Jesus' words and does them, he's like a wise person who built his house upon the rock and the, and the house then could withstand the storm. But the one who hears Jesus' words and doesn't do them, he's like a foolish person who built his house upon the sand. When the storm came against that house, it fell with a great crash. Notice also in our text the encouragement it gives to person who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, who will be blessed in his doing. Remember, God's word and his law is the law of liberty. It's a life of freedom to put this into practice. Doing God's word is a blessing in itself. He will be blessed in his doing, says the Lord. This is a life of fulfillment. This is a life to the glory of God. It's a life that brings peace as well. That brings us to our last point. So God calls us here to be doers of his word. And to that we might respond, well, great, what does that look like? And I did give some examples from Ephesians and Romans. But there are also some specific things listed at the end of our text. Uh, verse 26 returns to the matter of our speaking again. There's an, an, an important theme in this entire book. There it says uh, in verse 26, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now, those are some hard-hitting words, aren't they? God commands us to bridle our tongue. So to, to keep a tight rein on it, to hold it in check, to stay in control of it. Think of it like walking a dog. When some people walk their dog, you can tell the dog is in control. The dog pulls hard on the leash and goes pretty much wherever it wants to. And when a squirrel runs by, you'd better look out. That dog is going to run after it. It's more of a case of the dog walking its owner. But others have come to train their dog well. The dog learns who is the one who is in control. The owner is. The dog does not pull on the leash, but walks calmly by his owner. A squirrel running by will grab its attention, but it does not result in a separated shoulder. Now, of course, this is not about dog walking. This is about our tongues and remaining in control of what we see. God wants us to control our tongues, not like the first dog owner with pretty much no control at all, but like the second one. He's the one in charge. And that means controlling what we see so that things like gossip, and slander, and swearing, and boasting, and crude joking are never heard coming out of our mouths. Notice how seriously the Lord takes us here as well. If anyone does not control, take control of his mouth, his religion is worthless, he says. Sobering words, aren't they? So it's time to examine your speech. See if it aligns with God's righteous character. 
If it doesn't, then let us repent and seek forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. And you can be sure that God will extend forgiveness. It's also time to change the way we speak. Now, that's the negative side of practicing uh, right religion, but our text gives a positive side too. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. How does God want us to become doers of his word? He wants us to become like him. And so often in the, in the Bible, God describes himself as a God who takes care of the fatherless and the widow, the oppressed and the afflicted, those who can't take care of themselves. We're going to have an example of this in Psalm 146 later on. And this is what God wants us to put into practice. This includes not only orphans and widows, but everyone who who genuinely needs help. Includes people with special needs. People who are overwhelmed by life's troubles and difficulties. Those who can't do the regular tasks of life due to failing health or old age. Those who may not be able to pay us back in return. And so if you're an able-bodied person, think, how will you help someone who can't help themselves? And finally, our text calls us not, or to pursue the righteousness of God also by standing on guard against the pollution of the world. This, of course, is moral corruption and impurity. Well, that's a tall order, isn't it? There are no shortage of opportunities to become stained by the world. Anytime you go out of your house, and lots of times in your house, through the TV, on your phone, every time you use the internet, countless opportunities to become stained by the world. And we do this when we take on the world's thinking, its belief systems, its values, its way of life. Sometimes we might do it without even realizing it. How do we keep ourselves from being stained by the world? Well, one way is to avoid immersing ourselves in worldly atmospheres. Think of Psalm 1, which we sang, the the man who is blessed is one who does not sit in the seat of scoffers and, and in the way of the wicked. If you spend time in the moral pigsty, you will soon act like it as well. In the same way, if you immerse yourself in the world, you're going to become stained by the world. And one final way is to pray. Pray for the work of the Holy Spirit. He's given us to, to us to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And by His power, we can remain holy to the Lord. Amen. Let us now respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing Psalm 146, the stanzas 1, 4, and 5.